0: Welcome to episode one ninety eight of the Uncore Gamers. I'm Dan. I'm Adam, and we got a special guest today for our interview. We got James Patton, developer of Spin Mortality. Hi there. I'm glad to be here. So James, uh, you're nearing release. Are you excited? I am very excited.
1: Um, half of me is is just excited to see the game out there because it's been three years in development, and it will just be nice to have it done. And, and have people playing it. And there's another part of me which is like, well, I, I really hope that it does well enough to, to allow me to fund my next project. Because if it doesn't, I'm going to have to kind of reevaluate
0: everything. Right. Uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us, the fans, real quick, a quick summary of the game and uh, when they can expect to pick it up and where.
1: Sure. Um, so Spinortality is
0: a cyberpunk management sim. Uh, that
1: means that you play a... Like a giant evil corporate CEO, and you're running this company. You're researching horrible products, but then you're marketing them so that they're irresistible to people. Um, and then those products are illegal because some of them are really, really unpleasant. So then you need to like bribe politicians in order to change laws so that you can continue to make money off them. And by the end of the game, you're like completely wrecking democracies, staging coups, um, and uh, you will by the end of the game, have developed some technology to, to grant you and your friends immortality. So you'll be growing new bodies and trying to like, regularly upload your brain to new ones. Um, so yeah, that's all the, the fun you can expect. Uh, and it will be available on February 1st, so about two weeks from now.
2: On which platforms?
1: Uh, on uh, PC, Mac, and Linux. You can grab it through Steam or itch.io.
0: Okay. Nice. Now, this was also a Kickstarter game, correct? Mm-hmm, yeah. I uh, did the
1: Kickstarter because I, I first had the idea three years ago, and I worked on it for about two years part-time. Um, but my dream was always to to make games for a living. Uh, and then somebody pointed out, well, you know, this game is like at least half done. You could just do a Kickstarter for it, and you already have enough proof that you can finish it because you've got this prototype. So um, about a year ago, it was, um, yeah, two Novembers ago, I did this Kickstarter and it made about $13,000, which is not a huge amount in like, the, the Kickstarter ecosystem, um, but it was enough to get me through to um, about summer of the next year. And while I was working on it full time, I also um, applied for some grants from the Austrian government because I live in Austria right now. Um, and they were kind enough to give you one. And so it's been funded about half by the Kickstarter, half by these grants, more or less.
0: Nice. And then through these grants, you have to, like, um, is there anything you have to give back to Austria in any way? Or, like, service? You don't have to, like, um, it, there isn't, like, a, a, a tick box
1: of stuff that you have to do once you've got the grant, except for, like, actually finish the thing. Um but, in order to to qualify for the grant, it has to be like a project that has some kind of cultural value or that is innovative in some way or that is about Austria. Um, and it has to like um it has to to bring some kind of some kind of cultural value or or it has to be something that is interesting and would not be made if like it wouldn't be possible to raise investment for it. Uh, just, like, through the regular through the regular channels because it's kind of such a wacky idea and there isn't much of a market for it. Um, so I, I'm really glad that these things exist because, you know, the game will be much less less polished. Uh, it would have about half the amount of, of work, um, like, because it, it allowed me to work on it for an extra six months. Um, but, yeah, once, once you've got it, you basically just have to sort of stay the course and uh, keep them updated about your progress so that you don't have to, like, bring anything in at the last minute.
0: Okay, you didn't have to like make Austria the superpower of the world the
1: or anything <laughs> like that. No, no, um,
0: I do have a friend who made a like an augmented
1: reality game in which Austria is like the center of a cyberpunk empire. Uh, it's called Vienna, All Tomorrow's, and it's it's super cool if you happen to be in Vienna. If you're not, you can't play it. Um, so you can go down that route, and it looks awesome. Uh, but unfortunately, well. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, I uh, I didn't have to to panda, you know, at all to to you know whatever the Austrian government wanted, except for um, they I was in the the meeting where they were deciding whether or not to give me money, and they said uh, so it's going to be in in German right, because it was just in English at that point, and I said, well if you give me the money of course, and then they gave me the money. And like, there was nothing on paper, but I sort of realized, ah, I, yeah, I should definitely do a German version now. (laughs) Because if not, (laughs) that would be really sketchy. (laughs) Right. So, yeah, so it is also available in German, if any of your listeners are are German people. (laughs) (laughs) Or German speakers.
0: (laughs) Uh, Are there other languages as well, besides German and English, or is it just those two? Uh, right now, it's
1: just those two. Um, I, I would have loved to have it in other languages, and I've had a lot of really great offers from other people for like French and Brazilian Portuguese, and, and I think a few people who are offering Russian. Um, but the fact is that at this point, the game um, the text is already 60,000 words, which for people who don't know what that means, that's like a short novel. Um, so that's a lot of text to localize. Um, and there's also additional like problems, like um, I didn't anticipate when I was localizing it that I had to make sure that the, the um, money display was a bit different because, you know, in English, we write the dollar sign and then the money and then the millions, M. And in German, it's the number, then the dollar sign and then the M, but it's a different M. So it, there's loads of things like that that you might just completely miss. And also you had to make sure that everything that you localize fits on whatever button it was meant to be stuck on in the first place. So there's a bunch of times where my localizer and I have just had to play through the game and just screenshot a bunch of buttons where the text is a bit too long just because it wasn't localized bearing in mind the size of the button. So like it's long and localization is is complicated. And um, I don't have that much of a budget. And I think the audience for the game is going to be a bit on the small side anyway, not to jinx it or anything. But, um, you know, when selling stuff as an indie in 2019 is so competitive already, um, I I can't bank on there being a French audience or a Russian audience if I do localize. Um, And it's quite expensive anyway. So that's money that I might not get back. So I'm kind of using the German localization as like a test to see, okay, one, how do I localize? Because I never did I never did that before. Um, and also just to sort of see what happens so that I can figure out, um, okay, if I were to do this for French or if I were to do this for Russian, would it make sense with the numbers I've got? So that's where I am.
0: Right. And, you know, you could be like most uh, publishers out there and just... Put out a modding tool and let your fans mod the game to different languages for you.
1: That's true. I mean I, there has been some people who, who even offered to do it for free and I felt weird about that because it's so much work but I mean I'm not I'm not completely averse to like releasing modding tools just for the localization stuff because that's not that hard um, just to release and it can easily be swapped in and I, I could probably figure out how to make that work. So that's definitely a thing that I consider. I mean, if, if people are interested, then like drop me an email. Um, you can go to spinnotality.com and contact me that way. And if enough people show interest, then I'll, I'll just do it over the course of a weekend or something. So
0: Nice. Now, uh, I want to get into the Kickstarter side, because this is actually a pretty interesting thing. How does it feel? Because usually in game development stuff like that, you make your game, you get it ready for release, you throw a trailer out there get your feedback and then you know launch the game whatever Mm -hmm. but kickstarter the fans are in there like almost from the start how was that i mean was that like a relief a pressure how did that affect your development process having the fans uh, of your game so involved so early
1: um it was actually really at first i was really daunted and i was really scared because i had this this like image in my head of like you know, the Kickstarter hordes and all these entitled people who will, like, really... I did, I thought that most people were going to be, like, decent people and that there was going to be, like, a, a small but vocal minority who would harass you if you did it, even the tiniest thing wrong. Um, just because I've sort of... That's what I've seen or what I think I've seen in other Kickstarters. Um, or it's, like, the reputation that the large groups of people on Kickstarter have or just the internet generally. Um, but it was kind of nice because I just... I would. Occasionally, post an update, and occasionally someone would comment back, and they'd say, "That sounds nice. Good work." Um, and I'd post the like the latest builds for the the backers who backed at the higher tier, and then sometimes they would comment and they would say, "This is pretty cool, but maybe fix this." Um, and every decision that I made, everyone was just very supportive and very nice, um, and I I did my best to be upfront with them and to be honest and to say, okay, well, I plan to do this, but I'm gonna to have to do this instead for these reasons. Um, and the biggest change with that was the, the change in the release date, because this was originally gonna come out in like August or September. Obviously that didn't happen because we're about six months late, but the reason was that I got this funding, which I didn't think I was gonna get in the first place. So I wrote this update in which I, I said to everyone, look, I know that I promised August and September, and I know that Kickstarter's are notorious for sh- for slipping their release dates um but i have these very good reasons for changing it and here they are in great detail and i hope that you can all understand this and i'm still going to try very hard to get the game done and and this actually means that the game will be will have more time and it will be better when it's done and there wasn't a single negative comment on it everyone was just lovely so actually um i went in a bit daunted and By even the halfway point, the backers were just uh, uh, like a source of, like a reminder of the fact that there were people who actually believed in what I was doing and who were just nice and who thought I was doing a good job. So it was actually really nice.
0: That's uh, great to hear. Uh, Was there any like changes, like big changes to the game or surprising changes to the game you weren't expecting needed to be made based off of fan feedback?
1: Well, so probably the the one that I thought was done that was not done at all was the tutorial system because I kept making the tutorial system perfect to the point where it, it was perfect. Anyone going through this tutorial, they couldn't possibly do anything wrong. It was all absolutely spot on. And then I would show it to someone and that person would break it in about 10 ways. And then I fixed those, and I think that one was perfect, and then the next person will break this new one in about 10 ways. So the tutorial is still not perfect, but believe me, it has gone through so many revisions at this point that it's, wow, it's just ridiculous. Um, in terms of, like, higher level game design, I... I it's not that there were things... Well, there was one mechanic that did have to be brought in kind of late in the game, which is um I I always kind of wanted there to be something fun at the end because I it's a game where you sort of you start out oops, sorry, you start out not having much control and then you get more and more control as the game goes on and then by the end of the game you just kind of coast to victory. Um and I've managed to to lessen that a bit and to make it more challenging. Um but that's still kind of roughly how it works. Um, But I decided to introduce these like disasters or crises at the end of the game, which would um, kind of spice things up. So they'd give you a bit of a challenge towards the end. And I always wanted to have them in, but I I didn't realize how necessary they were until I kept playtesting and I just realized the second half of the game just had no challenge. You were just doing the same thing more but it was more boring because it was less challenging so they were absolutely necessary these late game crises um
0: now, the, oh, uh for for context yep. uh, i think i feel like i'm kind of been getting one of those lately in one of the mm-hmm. playthroughs i've had and just to clarify this is something like if you follow a path of like human genetics and like creating Frankenstein uh-huh. creatures is that the thing where like now they want civil rights and things like that is that what yeah. you're referring
1: to Exactly, exactly. So that they're kind of this is the one of the three. It's the the mutants want civil rights and then they can kind of have a revolution. Um and like seize nations and that kind of thing. Um so that's one of them. And that they are like they're seated throughout the start of the game a little bit, so they don't come out of nowhere. Um but they they definitely like become these really big problems that you really do have to solve towards the end of the game. Uh just because they disrupt your cash flow so much, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, that's one of them. Uh, I don't want to spoil the other two, I think. Um, but I, I actually had plans for more of them. There were going to be five. There was going to be one which was about um, nuclear war, I think, and one was going to be about just like social unrest generally. I dropped nuclear war because um, I didn't, uh, it didn't make as much sense organically as the others, which kind of already fitted into the game. There are no nukes currently in the game, so the nuclear war one kind of came out of nowhere. And the social unrest one um, was going to be like, you know, a communist revolution or something. That was kind of similar enough to the the to the to mutant revolution one that it wasn't really necessary to bring in. Um, so I felt like I could drop that. And actually, the, the thing that did surprise me a bit was that I had all these grand ideas. I had, I had these more crises and I had more plans for what to do with the board of directors. And I had more plans for what to do with the... Um, with the, the new bodies, the artificial bodies that you grow, you were gonna be able to upgrade them and stuff. And um, I, I had to just cut quite a lot of that stuff. Uh, and actually there's a, a friend of mine who's who's my game development mentor, his name is Alexis. And he, he pointed out to me that when you're a game developer, there will be a hundred things that you have to do and you will have time for about five of them. So you have to choose, you can either choose the five and make a conscious decision, or you can pretend that you can do the 100 things and then five will be chosen for you at random by like your process or whatever so is right. kind of the the most valuable game dev advice that i ever got because as much as i wanted this these other features to be in there i just realized that at a certain point the game doesn't need them like it won't ruin the game to not have them um they won't add that much and other things do have to be done because i do have to ship a game and even if i didn't need to make money from it like i would have to stop making it at some point because i want to do something else with my life
0: eventually i mean you could just uh you know add it as a dlc patch down the line too you know like you know like i don't know if you heard about kingdom hearts 3 the epilogue of the game mm-hmm. is a patch it, wow that yeah is so
1: game dev 2019 <laughs> I mean, I, I'm kind of not surprised. I feel like they they were almost gonna do that with Metal Gear Solid 5. Um, although they released that game in the state that it did with with the ending it did. Um mm-hmm. just because it was like, well, you know, we can always change it in a year or whatever. Um, but no, I, I I feel like that would not be a bad option actually. And if the game does well enough, I'll definitely consider doing some DLC and and those things will be, you know, up there in my at the top of my DLC list, just because you know the natural things I never got around to. Right,
0: and um, as a developer, like, how do you rationalize how much time you spend on the game for patches and DLC and stuff like that after the game's been released?
1: Well, speaking as a developer who has not yet released a commercial game, I'm. I have. have I, I have a perfect plan for this. Um, <laughs> yeah, my 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 um my plan thus far is basically like see how well it sells, and uh, obviously I'm gonna have to do a bit of patching just to fix whatever bug come out in the first week because I think it will be like poor practice to leave that undone. Um, but after that, it's just a matter of like, well, how many players do I have, and how many players am I likely to get in future, and do I think that adding DLC like, put it this way if I get like a thousand sales, that's not enough for me to justify any more time on this because that will not support me making more games. Um, like in in the first year, if I make a thousand sales, if I make a hundred thousand sales, then absolutely I should probably do one DLC, maybe even two, because there's clearly a demand for it. Um, so it's basically like, do I think that it will be justified? Like, can I? Can I budget out the time that I would spend doing that? Just, you know, with the spreadsheet, paying myself my hours um, in terms of what I would expect to make in terms of a return on investment with the expected sales and that kind of thing. So it's just maths at the end of the day, I think.
0: Yeah. And you bring up an interesting point. I, I know uh in the big in the AAA space, right? People games will be like sell you know hundreds of millions of dollars and people like oh mm-hmm. you know it's a great great games made a lot of money and then you hear the company come out and say like it was a financial like failure. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So there's there's like a disconnect between like the amount of money people hear it makes versus what the company expected it to make and you mm-hmm. know we don't really get to see the numbers of how much they actually paid to make the game and stuff like that. Yeah.
1: I I would be fascinated to know to look behind the curtain with those and to just like know how how much money was the studio burning how long were they burning it for. Um, often, like I wonder, do they um, do they force these games to get shipped because they genuinely think that they've like balanced all of the variables and that and that they think the game is as good as it can be, or is it just that like they've sunk so much money into this project and they know that they will never ever make uh, make back their money, but they need to make some of it back, so they're just going to like chuck out whatever they got right now and see what happens. I think that's that's what happens a lot of the time.
2: Yeah, there's actually a a game that that that's what actually happened to it. Mm -hmm. Um, They're releasing a demo and Mm -hmm. with even a special edition alongside with that. So it's a demo prologue special Mm -hmm. edition. But because the game has taken so long to be completed and they've dumped so much money into it, they need to make a return already to finish the game.
1: Oh, wow. uh,
2: I guess 13
1: rim. Yeah. Cool. I mean, that's not uncommon these days either. I mean, that happened uh, with uh, Broken Age. That was a really big Kickstarter success, an adventure game. Uh, they had to, sp- they ran out of money despite making way more than their goal, um, and then they had to split the game in two, and they had to sell the first half of the game in order to make the second half of the game. Um, and I think that happens a bunch with episodic games as well, but I can't put my, my finger on it. But, but yeah, it's ridiculous. You you have to be control of your cash flow uh and if you're not then then you're going to be in trouble
2: yeah uh yeah i mean i feel like um like now especially with dlc being pushed forward like a lot of companies are pushing their product and then they're like oh no we'll just patch it later like in like a week or two <laughs> like i think um Red that yeah. did that like mm-hmm. they, I think they've done it like a few times already
1: yeah and honestly i can't i can't really fault them for that because like if it's a case of we're going to we're going to sell you half the game and then we're going to sell you the other half through like six bits of DLC. That's kind of a pain because you feel like a game should be a complete thing. Um but if it's just like okay there are some bugs and we had to like lock down the build so that we could burn it to CDs 2 months before launch but we can still work on it in the meantime and we needed to launch it at this point to make the money to fix the bugs then. I'm I used to be very against day one patches but now I'm like well you know we're all downloading it anyway, so it doesn't really matter that much.
2: Yeah, true. Um, I changing the subject. Um, one thing I really enjoyed about your uh, about your game was the music. Mm-hmm. Who? So, oh yeah, so talk to us about the music a little bit.
1: Yes. Uh, so the music was uh, done by a studio called City Nights Tracks, which is uh, my audio guy. Uh, his name is. Let me just make sure that I get uh, his name right. Um, his name is Anthony, oh, I definitely, I definitely, like, know his name, but it's a matter of, like, ah.
2: Is it difficult to pronounce?
1: Uh, a little bit, it's a little bit difficult to, to spell, uh, Anthony, uh, Anthony Kreuter, that's it. Anthony Kreuter, yeah, that's K R O Y T O R. So I, I went to um, an indie game dev meetup in uh, in Vienna, and this was when it was like six months into into development maybe, and I was sort of looking around for music here or there that I could license. Um, But he just came up to me after I'd after I'd presented it, and he said, "Hey, I do music." My music's a bit like experimental, I think would be a good fit. Um, How do you feel about doing that? And um, it's a really good mix, I think, because the game has this kind of oppressive cyberpunk sort of grungy CEO atmosphere. And uh, all of the tracks that he has are totally electronic. They're all synthesized uh, and they all have like a drone in the background. So it has this very oppressive feel to it. Um, but they're all very different as well. So they, they, they kind of lull you into this weird kind of, I think it's almost like a fugue state, to be honest. Uh, I think he did it actually a much better job than I, than I realized at first, because you don't notice the music, but the music really does like alter your, like where your head's at when you're playing it. Uh, and the other fun thing we did with the music is that like, there are one or two tracks that are traditional one, Like. They're just regular tracks. You just, you start the track and you play it and then you finish it and you load the new one, but most of them actually have four different layers. So there's the drones layer. There's like, um, a kind of light, peppy science layer. There's kind of a, an oppressive, uh, corporate layer. And there's a kind of an unusual quirky kind of what I think of as like the people layer, like the unusual layer, which, which to my mind is about like people doing unusual things or being creative or, or like living their day-to-day lives. Um, and then we mix those layers together in the game uh, based on which window is open. So this is not like a new technique. It was done in like FTL, that's the wonderful spaceship game, and a bunch of other ones. But I think it really works well here because it means that the music is always dynamic because uh, whatever you're doing, the like it's like the interface itself reflects the mood that you should be doing it in. Uh, and again, the music's very like, it's very easy to to not notice because it creates this sort of psychological effect. So I think that that is only heightened by the fact that the tracks that are played are determined by, like, the actions that you're doing.
2: Yeah, I definitely, I noticed that. Um, that was one of the aspects of the games, like, I really, like, enjoyed. Um, I think you sent us the, um, the soundtrack when you sent uh, the beta for us to test out.
1: I might well have done because um, I was that the 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 um, Kickstarter beta or the the latest beta. Uh,
0: the Kickstarter beta. Uh, let me see if I can find the build number.
1: But yeah, I definitely did
2: notice uh, as it was changing. Like, and then it would it would kind of. Um, I wasn't paying attention to it, <clears throat> but uh, while playing it, like while you're having to make these decisions and kind of think on things before you make your next decision um it the music kind of like i don't know i don't know i don't know it kind of it kind of gets into you and then uh it it just adds a new part of the game
1: it does i think it does and i think like one one thing i wanted from anthony um at one point was like just just one track which was a bit more up tempo just to kind of inject some more excitement into it because you know it's a very it can be a bit of a slow game because it's very methodical it's about like, like taking slow decisions um, and he did like send me one track that's that's more action packed and more sort of up tempo, um, but I think that it, it would even work without that, just because it's it's it sort of just lulls you into into what you're doing. It's like it says, "Yep, yeah, this is you. You're the Point CEO. These are the sounds, the music that you'd associate with that. Now go for it," and it just it pulls you in.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's definitely if that's what you're going for, that was definitely how i felt. Um I haven't played a PC game in like a long time. This is like the first PC game I played in like years. And um I um I haven't p- played like a text a text-based game in a while either. Mm-hmm. And um I don't I don't know. I was uh you know like the it starts and then the music's playing and then I was
1: like sucked into it. Fantastic. Yeah. Um I'm I'm so glad that it worked out like that cuz that was absolutely what we planned. And that you enjoyed it so much as well. Um, yeah, I mean, Anthony is actually um, like interested in breaking into um, like video game music. So if there is anyone listening who has a game that needs a similar kind of sound, he's he would definitely be interested. I'm sure um, I can definitely put you in touch with him. Nice.
0: All right. Just to clarify, uh, the version that I played on was uh, fifteen point eleven point twenty eighteen. Oh yeah, that was definitely the the Kickstarter one. So, did I actually
1: send you the soundtrack as a separate uh, file, or was it just like on the? I think it was itch? on the HIO page.
0: Okay, yeah, that makes
1: sense. Yeah. Okay, I guess I guess that's that's what that was then. You yeah. uh, know. But no, that must have been. It's probably that. Yeah, I must have included it as like a teaser of what to expect, uh, but the full soundtrack because that was just what we had up to that point. The full soundtrack is going to be. Available for um on the itch page, uh, and I think you had to pay 20 euros for that one, or you had to be a a back a kicker, a Kickstarter backer who paid 20 euros because that was one of the rewards they got access to the soundtrack.
0: Okay, nice. Um, now, one thing you mentioned uh was the board of directors. Now, from when I previously (laughs) played the build to uh, this build, uh, when I back when you were first doing your Kickstarter. You sent me a build in this build had the board of directors uh feel a lot different. I don't even remember mm-hmm. if they were in the original build, but they're like a lot more aggressive and they actually yeah. reduce a lot of the challenge in the beginning of the game. And uh in this build, I don't know if this changed uh lately. They seem very randomized. I noticed that like I think I did I've done two playthroughs so far and like the first playthrough mm-hmm. like crashed horrendously. They were asking me to do things I just did not have the power to do at the time. My public opinion was just climbing, uh, dropping, I should say, and like I just like died almost like within an hour or so. In the second playthrough, I was like, "All right, they're doing that much more." Like I can, I can handle that request. I can handle that request. I can get the ball rolling now. I'm at a point where I can handle just about anything. Okay, um, That's the being... to be kind of randomized, kind of like a roguelike type of experience, or um, it's it's meant to be like a little bit in the middle? Uh, I think
1: that like the first few times you play you're meant to, I think the first time any play plays, they're going to fail because it's, um, it's not like a super hard game. Like it's not, it's not the dark souls of of management sims. I think. Um, but it's also not easy. And, uh, you know, you will fail probably the first one or two times you play. Um, so there's an element of that. And I think that I, I got to the point where the board of directors can throw pretty much anything at me in the first hour or two of play. And I might not be able to to do every mission, but uh, even if I fail one or two, I will be able to complete enough of them that they don't hate me and they don't kill me. So I think that it's like, if you get to a point where you can master the game, then the randomness is not such an issue. Um, But we do have, like there are certain, um, the missions are not completely random. They are, Uh, selected based on like certain parameters, like the, the the theory is the board should not ask you to do something that is completely impossible. They might ask you to do something that maybe you don't have the resources for right now, but if you know what you're doing, you should be able to get the resources from somewhere else so that you can complete the mission before time expires. So that's like the, the, the logic, they don't necessarily give you a, a task. That would be like trivial. Sometimes they do, but but some, but they, they don't necessarily give you one that would be like easy. Uh, but they do usually give you one that you can just about figure out how to do. Uh, or if you don't if you don't quite do it, then you at least had a pretty good shot at doing it. Um, but what do you happen to remember which missions were the ones that that caused you to crash and burn? Because I might I might nerf them. Uh,
0: I think it was a combination of one, like you said, learning the system, kind of like uh, stuff like... I think I think part <laughs> of it, it, it was a combination of what the board of directors wanted and my public opinion, dropping the percentage yeah. of the board of directors. I think ultimately what did... I think I failed one or two missions maybe um, just trying to figure out the system, figure out the game, figure out what resources are important to follow and stuff like that. But it was a combination of like destabilize a nation, uh, th- throw it into chaos and create a new government, And that was causing my public opinion to drop.
1: Yeah. Mm, Yeah. So your problem was not the board so much as uh, you hadn't yet got agendas, which allowed you to get public opinion. That is a thing where it's kind of, yeah, the first time you play, you don't realize how important public opinion is, but you do kind of need to. I'll, I'll just say that, like, you absolutely learn important lessons from that. Uh, and there are ways around that, but you kind of need to you kind of need to know what pitfalls there are in advance so that you can choose agendas, which are these like powerful advantages, these powerful policies uh, in order to put you in a good position for later.
0: Yeah, uh, I, know, I noticed the uh, yeah. next time. Uh, I played as soon as I got the ability to make buy an agenda I bought one the gaming public opinion every turn. Exactly, exactly. Yeah.
1: And like and there are many ways to do it but you need to have some public opinion uh m- modifying things somewhere. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I uh the first time playing also I definitely felt like oh okay like this is a game where I don't I think a high amount of people are going to fail <clears throat> and it's going to take at least you know 2 to 3 times to get a little further to figure out what to do what not to do where to place people, uh, what to put money in. So the first company I created, Mm -hmm. it it tanked. Uh, Homeboy Industries failed. (laughs)
1: Oh, no. Well, RIP Homeboy Industries. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about games where, like, you have to fail once to Um, learn? You know, actually,
2: right now, now, um, so I'm playing um, Hollow Knight. So that's a game Mm -hmm. where it's trial and error. So, I mean, it's a different type of game, but it's definitely you've got to explore, you've got to feel out, you've got to see what you can do, what you can't do, maybe come back to this. Um, so with your game, it's it's a lot of the same. So it's, you know, maybe this time you, you know, you put in, you persuade the people, you get more workers to be uh, in certain areas and others. And then if that doesn't work, well, then you can be like, well, it kind of worked. Like, I don't need to, and I don't, I don't need to focus on this aspect I need to focus on this aspect, and then mm-hmm. later do this. So that's mm-hmm. what I got from your game. Um, I, I definitely felt like whoever plays it, you're gonna you're gonna fail, but that's okay because then you're gonna know, yeah. and then you're gonna advance, and then you might fail again, but then that's all right. Then you'll advance even further the next time,
1: the third time. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and like my thinking was originally, I actually thought that this was a game where I didn't want people to fail, so I wanted to build in multiple ways to fail and like multiple kind of safety nets so that somebody could complete it on their first weight when on their first playthrough
0: um
1: and i there's certainly like a validity to that approach i think but the more i like worked with the game the more i kind of felt like in order for this to have teeth in order for it to have challenge it and that was really when the board of directors came in, because before the board of directors there was almost no way to lose now there's definitely a way to lose um but I kind of felt like for it to have teeth for it and for it to kind of, um, for your struggle to have meaning and to not just be like a kind of a clicker game, uh, it it needed to be possible for you to fail and for you to understand that there are systems that would kind of destroy you if you didn't kind of take care of them. Um, so yeah, that was actually a big switch. About six months in, I brought in the board of directors. They can... Uh, destroy you if you if you don't complete enough missions and that was a big kind of kind of change to the philosophy of the game and the player's experience but it felt so appropriate when it was in there that i couldn't like i felt like i couldn't take it out or i couldn't nerf it once i put it in so
0: yeah, like I said, I played. I think before the board of directors. I think uh, the earlier mm-hmm. build, and it definitely was a much easier game, kind of autopilot in a way. And this one kind of makes you mm-hmm. take a quick second to look at it, every all your resources, make sure you're in a good spot for everything. Yeah, because um, sure the, the way spend that it resources too fast and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Exactly,
1: because the way it used to work was uh, they would just give you a mission every so often, and it was just a suggestion. If you failed it, then no biggie. We'll just give you a new mission. Um, but now, if you fail a mission, then it makes them a bit angry, and if they, if you fail like four in a row, they get very angry, and then they kill you. So um, it it's a totally different experience, but it, and it, it, a lot of those missions are, um, they've been like tweaked a bit, but a lot of them are just the same missions from before, it's just that there was no kind of feedback system. Right. Um, but now you, you can't play it on autopilot. You you had to have a plan, and I think that gives it a certain kind of focus that it was lacking before.
0: Um, Is this a... Did you get any feedbacks from the Kickstarter people that are playing about like the change, stuff like that? How did they enjoy it?
1: Um, they all seem to have been having a really good time with it. Um, like there, there are some people who've said, like, you know, I like this thing more than this thing, or I'd really appreciate this feature. Um, there's some features that that have been suggested that, they they're really reasonable for like a few people who have a very particular play style, but for most people, it's just they're not going to use it, and so it's not worth putting in. um But most of them, like somebody, a friend of mine, streamed it and was like, "Ah, oh, it's so hard now." But like with a smiley face, so I think that even though it's it's got a lot harder than it was um because of the board of directors, I feel like. All of the backers are kind of up for the challenge, um, or at least if, if there are any who aren't, then they haven't told me, so that's fine. I did play it in easy mode though, so you can still complete it without the board of directors being like as lethal. Uh, so just because I wanted, I wanted people to have an easier ride if they weren't quite so willing to learn all the systems and, and put
0: that much effort into it. So, so uh, one thing I kind of know while I've been playing. Um... It kind of made me think, like James, are you collecting information about your players right now so you can start your <laughs> own sneaky mega corporation? You get, you get, you talk. I might people. be. You talk to people and like there's NPC characters in the game that kind of like you can have a virtual romance with or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they'll start to ask you yeah. questions like, "What's your favorite type of wine? What's your favorite type of sexual stuff to do?" <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, full <for> the record. <laughs> No, none of this information is collected. Uh, it dies with the game. Uh, I, I actually think that it's not even saved in the save file because there's no there's no save data on what on what events you've chosen. So, um, yeah. But I that was an interesting one um, because I um, there are there are three characters in the game. Uh, their names are Aisha, Sam, and G. Uh, the prototype, the one that you played originally uh, back with the Kickstarter, only had Sam. Um, and I, I introduced these people because I, I thought, okay, I've got a game where you click around on a globe and numbers go up and things explode and you sell product and you control more of the world and then numbers go up faster. And I kind of realized that like that was fine as like a, you know, just a machine that that sort of operated, but it didn't feel very real as a world. So then I introduced, um, newspaper articles which like tell you what's going on in the world and I introduced other things like uh, when when the when a nation changes its culture there's like a little reason for that like maybe this thing became more popular or whatever and it started to feel a bit more like a world but it still didn't feel like your your decision of having an impact on actual people uh, and so then I introduced these three characters and I figured that like I, I needed to introduce characters, in order to make you feel like your uh, decisions were having an impact on just one person. Because I felt like, okay, you've ruined the lives of a million people. What does that even mean? You've ruined the lives of one person, and her name is Sam, and she likes anime or whatever. That has more meaning. And you're going to have more of an emotional reaction to that. Because I felt like it's all fun and games playing as this giant evil CEO, and that's fine. Uh, and if people just want to have fun, like, living in this ridiculous, hilarious, escapist fantasy, then that's fine. That's just the way that they approach the game. But I also wanted there to be something to like, just remind people that like this isn't a game about things that are kind of real because we are kind of living in a cyberpunk capitalistic hellscape right now and people really are being impacted by some of the things that you're doing, even if you're not an actual CEO. Um, so I figured I'd introduce these characters and then I would um, allow you to get to know them and so I give you these these options, uh, which are completely like meaningless in the context of the game. Like they ask you, do you like red, white or rosé? Or what are your sexual kinks? Or um, like, what was your favorite part about last night? Oh, when we sang karaoke. Or oh no, when we ran away from the cops or whatever. And these are all like completely, like mechanically meaningless. Um, they don't have a, a, like an impact on the system because I could they, it's a system about ruling the world from a capitalistic penthouse, right? And there's no room in that for, like, a do you like Rosé. Um, but the fact that you had to click one over the other means that it kind of invites the player to hopefully, like, become a bit invested in these characters. And then over the course of the game, you become more and more invested, i hoping, with more of these, like, little interactions that don't actually have anything to do with the game, but they're still kind of nice. And then later, when these characters turn on you and they say, hey, you're a problem. You're ruining people's lives. Why are you doing that? I'm hoping that it will have more impact than just like a game that tells you to ruin the world and then you ruin the world and it slaps you on the wrist and says, bad, you ruin the world. Um, I, I wanted there to be more of like a, a depth of understanding and a depth of, of like emotional interaction there. Yeah,
0: that's what I also thought it was an interesting choice when you have the options. Um, usually, like when other options come up, it'll say, like, this will benefit you in this way, and this will detriment you in this way. And this mm-hmm. one that only like, gives plus you. Plus two hint. connections, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. This one, the only hint it gives you is how you think this person is going to react to this. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even yeah. really tell you what's going to happen or, you know, what further emails you're going to get or anything like that. It just kind of ask you just a question like, if this was a person, how do you think they would react to it?
1: exactly because like the game because it's a mechanical game it doesn't like it shouldn't know that it shouldn't know whether sam is going to be angry or upset or just kind of okay with it uh and if you as a a player like as a human being cannot kind of estimate whether like you know telling her that your company is is the most important thing in your life or whatever is that going to upset her i don't know like i'm not Sam but maybe it will. Obviously there's systems in there to model how upset she is but but you shouldn't have access to that because that's kind of her business. Uh, and it's kind of between you uh, between like the player who has a relationship with Sam and Sam and the systems they they don't get to predict that. Yeah.
0: That's interesting the thing you bring up. How much randomness is like, in the game like can my Sam from one playthrough be completely different from a Sam in another playthrough, or is it just more on a global scale?
1: Uh, well, the so on a global scale, the the Earth itself and the nations are randomly well they're they're procedurally generated with every new playthrough, so the cultures are randomized basically to to increase uh, replayability, um, and then the missions you get are. They are selected, like I said, from a pool of things that the board thinks you can do, but once they're drawing from that pool, it's like drawing randomly. And the events that occur are also random. There are some things that mean that event X can't fire because, you know, condition Y is not met yet, but they're basically random in terms of what you... It's basically like a giant stack of cards that you don't get to see. Um, In terms of... But every event once that... Like, every event... um, once it has been drawn, is prescripted. So there's very little wiggle room there except for like in one or two very, very specific cases. Um, So like Sam saying this in this event, Sam saying, hey, do you want to get a drink? That is like just the thing that Sam says at that point in the relationship. Um, But the order of events that Sam, like... Like there's there, there might be three events where you get to know Sam and then four events where you kind of have a relationship with Sam and then eight events where Sam confronts you or talks about like ethics. And then there might be two or three different events, uh, which are like the end of the relationship and how that ends. And the, the randomness comes in in like um, to what extent, uh, like what order they're in. Obviously, they will happen in a certain order. So like, you're gonna get the introduction stuff before the ending of the relationship events, obviously. But once you're in a certain phase of the relationship, then they're gonna come in a random order. And so that might mean that that will turn certain events on or off. It might add them or subtract them from the pool, um, depending on what you have or haven't triggered, which is a really long winded way of saying that basically Sam, Tends to react in more or less the same way. Uh, she will tend to say the same things, but the way in which you react and the and the uh, order in which you react to certain things will ultimately determine uh, whether or not she like still kind of likes you. But but it, it will determine like the, the way in which the relationship ends. Um, and you have a certain amount of control over that, but a lot of it is is like Sam deciding by the end of the relationship, okay, this is this is like the, the positive and the negative um, impressions that I've got from this relationship. Uh, how does that make me like the Sam algorithm feel? What kind of result does that spit out?
0: Cool. Uh, one thing I want to touch on real quick. You had a Kickstarter goal of Mm -hmm. being able to get to the moon i got to the moon i got to play it was a slightly different experience than i was expecting it's a little bit Mm -hmm. somewhat different from the rest of the game so familiar feeling but like a bit of a different resource management on the moon stuff like that but how was that experience for you uh making sure that you got the moon in there was that sketchy at first because of the development of the game you weren't sure how that was going to fit into your timeline or
1: yeah i mean
0: i i always i figured that um it
1: was it was slated for august slash september and I always figured that like the moon would add about a month, let's say. So, and I was planning for August, so that would push me to September. So that was basically fine, to be honest. Um, the timeline thing wasn't really an issue because it took me about a month in the end, which was about what I thought it would take for me. Um, it it took me a while to like figure out exactly how I would do it. Um, because it it like 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 you said, it's it has a totally different tech tree and there's a totally different resource management type thing there, and it was actually really fun to make, because it was kind of fun almost role-playing this super, this even more amoral Elon Musk type character, and thinking, okay, well, what would this person do, and what kind of weird tech would they use in order to make sure that their astronauts got to the moon? Would they use, like, mutated, augmented bionic tech? Would, wouldn't that be weird and horrible? Um, they which is also doubly, doubly delicious, because there's actually a lot of images which illustrate the, the process of going to the moon, which are taken from Elon Musk's SpaceX Instagram, because they are public domain. Yeah. Um, so that's just delicious, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, but basically, it was, um, like, it was like a lot of other systems that I designed. I just sort of sat down and I thought, OK, I'm going to have fun with this. It was. Uh, Like what processes will this involve? How do I build them? Where will I put them? What windows will this mean? Um, By far the hardest bit of it was once I designed it and once I kind of got it sort of up and running, um, the moon both is and isn't a nation and it is and isn't a button because of the way that it behaves. And sometimes it's neither of those things. And just getting it to work with the button system and with the nation system it was such a nightmare because there are so many little edge cases in which the moon just as a thing you can click that should obviously open this window just doesn't quite do what i th- didn't quite do what i thought it would do um so just from a bug fixing bug fixing perspective that was by far the the ugliest part of it because i had to kind of massage it into these other systems that were already designed and hadn't been designed by the moon in mind um, so yeah that was that was the pain
0: Okay. Now putting this game out and stuff like that, are you looking to mostly stay independent? Are you looking to try to see if you can join a small team with this uh, exposure to this game? Hopefully we'll provide you and stuff like that. Like what are your future prospects as a game developer?
1: I mean it, it really depends. I think if it does if it does really, really, really well, I think that would kind of be a sign that I should probably keep doing this. Um, just because, you know, that that much Excitement and interest means more followers and that means more potential customers and that means more people who might buy the next game, which means that it's, it's worth like sticking at this just so that those people kind of remember me two or three years down the line when the next game comes out. Um, But if, and then if it does very badly, then obviously I I will have to go and and seek work elsewhere. Um, There's like a few game dev opportunities in Vienna that I would be very interested in looking into. The really tricky thing would be if it made between those two, where it was like a reasonable amount of money, where it was kind of maybe enough to get me to a Kickstarter for the next game, but probably not the whole thing, but it also wasn't a disaster. And then it would just be like a really difficult decision to make because I like remaining independent just because I can, I can do my own thing. And I've got lots of lots of interesting game ideas that I'd like to, to make. Um, and, you know, I only have a certain amount of time on this planet, so I'd like to try and make as many of them as I can. Versus, like, the stability and also, like, you know, the, the, the learning opportunity that would be working for a professional studio. Because I've actually never worked for a game studio ever, so it would just be probably quite useful to know how people who know what they're doing do this. Yeah.
0: Yeah what we do on this show. I want to make sure I get this in. <coughs> we, we do a, a question of the week. We try to ask our audience. Sometimes they answer, mm-hmm. sometimes they don't. Uh, but we thought it'd be fun to get... We, we've had a couple questions of the week. I thought it'd be fun to try to pick your brain on what, what your concepts of those are. Uh, one sure. that we had, uh, it's kind of like a more of a concept question. Um, but I thought it's kind of interesting. It's like with games like The Walking Dead and uh, Until Dawn and stuff like that, where you kind of just Pick a pick a choice. See the scenario play out. Like, it kind of came to my opinion that kind of muddles what the concept of a game is. Like, how is that a game mm-hmm. versus a choose your own adventure story or an interactive film? Like, where where is that line yeah. of what makes a game a game versus other forms of media? I was wondering I mean, what it, your opinion yeah. on that. Is
1: it's kind of tricky. I mean, the the basic problem is
0: that uh, nothing is anything,
1: and all of these names that we're putting on things are like. The feeble attempts of the human intellect to categorize a chaotic universe that will destroy us, um, which is like the big, massive philosophical answer. But like, in terms of like a useful, like practical answer that makes sense, um, yeah, I, I kind of feel like um, I'm very nervous to call something a game versus not a game because I think then you get into territory where like people police, like who gets to call themselves a game developer. And uh, Emily Short, who's a developer, I'm very uh, interested in. Uh, pointed out that actually uh, this can have real world repercussions because if you can like sometimes you need to um, sometimes you need to apply for funding from like academic institutions or or public grants and if you can say you're a game then that might allow you to get some funding that you might not get otherwise so like it's not that there are no casualties in this discussion Um, but I do kind of feel like yeah if, if, if you've basically got a movie but it, it branches and there are like say six branches and you can choose which one gets you to the end and or like which combination of branches but most of the time you're just sitting there watching i guess that's more into an interactive movie than a game um and i kind of been wondering about this because like even if you have a game like um did you ever play like 80 days or the Sorcery games? They're basically interactive fiction, um, but they do it so slickly that you don't notice that they work really well on on uh, mobile devices. They're games where basically um, the game tells you a story in text, but you are so busy choosing your options that you don't realize that it's interactive fiction and you think it's just a cool app that happens to be using text in order to tell you a story. Um, so they're super fun, and but I've been wondering about like the difference between that and, uh, something more like Cultus simulator, which is, uh, one of Alexis's games, which is, um, culture simulator is a game where every character and every object is simulated as an object on the board and it can interact with other things on the board and these things can be combined and like, uh, prepared together with other things in order to make new resources. Um, so. So you can have a situation where, for example, you, um, you become restless because uh, you just feel restless because restlessness is in the air, and then uh, you decide to do something with your restlessness. So you do a painting, and that painting creates a lot of public attention, and then that public attention uh, arouses the interest of the authorities, and then they start investigating you. Um, which is bad because you killed someone five minutes ago and the body is still on the board and they're going to find it. So then you maybe decide to do more paintings to distract them with more public opinion and more like celebrity so that they're too busy chasing dead ends rather than actually finding the body. Like that's a thing that can legitimately happen and this happened several times in my games, uh, in, in my, my playthroughs of cultists. Um And I feel like that's really interesting because it's a very, it's a series of really interesting narrative beats and narrative choices, but it's simulated in a completely like systemic way. Whereas for that to happen in a game like 80 days, which is all text-based or, you know, in a game like, uh, like Spinnortality, uh, you would have to have that as a, as a pre-written random event. So I kind of feel like there's, there's a spectrum from like full system at one end through to like total linear interactivity like it's a book at the other end um and it's kind of difficult to to say exactly where the line is but um it's important to remember that like there's always elements of some games that are pre-done there are almost no games that are almost totally systemic um and also even in a completely linear work there is no such thing as a, as a work that is completely pre-written because there's a certain level of interactivity that takes place even just in the mind of the reader or the, the viewer. Um, so even a text like, I don't know, The Hunchback of Notre Dame is a little bit interactive because you need to like actually interact with it in order to, to you know, read it at all. Um, so yeah, that's my incredibly long winded answer but I think about this kind of stuff a lot. <laughs>
0: I mean, it's it's hard not to these days. Like I think about that, oh, of, yeah. like like what what is an RPG anymore? You know, because so yeah. many games have RPG mechanics in them and claim to be mm-hmm. RPGs, and they're so completely different from what they used to be. All this type of stuff. That's you know, mm-hmm. it's it's great that they're kind of mixing like this, but it's kind of hard to identify things now because of it. Yeah,
1: and also people keep saying that like Bandersnatch is like the next level of interactive entertainment, and it's like, well, no, but like Telltale was doing stuff like that way, way, way before Black Mirror was even a thing so in in linear form so it's kind of ha huh, yeah it's it's on a lot of people's minds and a lot of people are wrong but i don't know <laughs> <laughs> uh
0: it looks like we're getting close to the end of our time i just wanted to give you okay. some time if you want to talk about uh things you want to touch on in the game that we uh, might not have hit or developing or anything like that
1: um yeah i mean basically i um hmm, i'd like to point out that i i always stuck to a very um Reasonable schedule to myself. So I always tried to work nine to five and to not go beyond that if I could help it. And I always kept my weekends free just because I think I would literally go insane if I didn't do that. And I just wanted to say that um, if the game does well, it doesn't just mean that I get to make games. It means that I get to make games like being ethical with myself and my time because I think it would be kind of a shame if the only way to make games were to like kill yourself. Because I kind of did that while I was working part-time in order to, to have enough time to make the game in the first place. And I think for me, going full-time didn't just mean the freedom from other distractions and other forms of work. It meant freedom from that particular like having to kill yourself to make art problem. So yeah.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting point you bring up. I know there's been, I think, game development or one country that's starting to unionize uh, game mm-hmm. development. That's been the big topic, people like doing the crunch and like, oh, yeah, you know, yeah,
1: you know, especially each. after Reddit too, like 120 hour weeks, woo,
0: yeah, exactly. Um, so that's definitely something that people are talking about the ethical treatment of employees in the game development thing, which is mm-hmm. long overdue if you think about all the stories of you know Japanese, absolutely, stuff.
1: oh, yeah, and like EA Spouse was what more than 10 years ago, and nothing really got done so. Yeah. Right,
0: uh, get on to the final uh, mm-hmm. question of the week, the current one. Um, I want to get your opinion on there. I think Adam, yeah, is I've there anything here. you wanted to ask before we finish out the show, man? Yeah.
2: Um, <clears throat> so you said if this game does well that you would go on to create another game. So if you were to create another game, would it be
1: <laughs> the same style? Did you guys already talk about this? Not yet. Uh, no, but it's just like, I thought for a second you were going to ask me, like, what, what will that game be? And I'm like... Have to do market research first, um, <laughs> like,
2: yeah, like, or like I'm sorry, All right, yeah, that. And then my other question would be, what would your oh, no, your, your question? Yeah, your
1: question is totally reasonable. Um, I, I thought it was going somewhere else, so yeah. Uh, my my ideal uh, game, uh, if I if I could make it, would be. Um, uh, well, I I don't want to say too much, but it would be a game about uh, a game about culture because I'm very interested in culture. Um, it, would either be, it would either be a game about culture or it would be a game about trying to model feelings in a, in a better way than they've been modeled before. It would be one of those two things, because those are two things that I don't think games have really done a great job with so far. But they are both systems, therefore they can both be modeled, even if inexpertly. Uh, and I think that they are both really interesting. Um, and I think you can make a game about them and, they, and it would be interesting and it would be worthwhile, and people would play it, and it would be fun. Um, in terms of, like, would it would it be in the same genre or the same area? Yeah. I, I think it would definitely... It wouldn't necessarily be cyberpunk. I'm pretty sure that it wouldn't be cyberpunk. Um, I have, like, one idea for a cyberpunk game, but I, I cannot for the life of me figure out the core mechanic. So if I can't do that, it's probably not going to happen for a while. Um, I think it would it would have to be a game in another genre that interested me, uh, that like lined up with those two interests. Um, but in, in a broader sense, uh, in terms of like what kind of game would it be, it would have to be a very um, inexpensive indie game because like I don't have a massive budget, so that would that means it would probably still be two D. Um, it would probably uh, make judicious use of uh, stock photos and royalty-free photos somehow. They'd probably be edited somehow, I think, but I, but I would still use a lot of free resources because they're there and, you know, it's better than, like, my hand-drawn stuff, which is terrible. Um, and it would probably also be very text-heavy because text is one thing that... It does cost a lot to localize, but I know that I can produce a lot of text quite quickly and it is, like, quite good quality, I am definitely a better writer than I am an artist, um, so you could kind of expect that kind of um, like atmosphere, that kind of experience, uh, even if the game itself would probably be quite different.
0: All right, in that in that regard, how open are mm-hmm. you to working with other developers? If for some reason, you you just can't figure out that core mechanic. Maybe asking one of your developer friends that they can help you on the game.
1: That is a really good plan, actually. Um, I have, uh, I have a, a friend of mine who I worked out some of the agenda mechanics with, um, and that was actually very helpful. What I came up with eventually was quite different, but just talking to him really pushed me forward. So I might talk to him about it just to brainstorm it and see what what comes up. Because even if this is not a game that, I, that I'm that necessarily going to make next, I, I just like to know how to make it. Because even if I even if I don't make it in exactly this form, I might make it in a different form someday. And even if I never make it, I'm sure that understanding how to solve that particular problem would be really interesting. And it would make me better as a designer. So yeah, I'd, I'd love to, to discuss it with some with some Gendo friends.
0: Let's get the last Accord Gamers of the Week. Uh, the question is, mm-hmm. which game inspires you the most? Uh, we didn't get so, any responses, uh, but we thought this would be a good... Question to ask, you know, have a developer on here, like what the you, yeah. you to get into it and do all that stuff, you know? Well, I
1: yeah, I have already mentioned it, but I, I think Culture Simulator is definitely up there because it it tries to take narrative and take narrative elements and then it it models them in a systemic way. And that is something that is really, really interesting for me. Um, I'm also really inspired by 80 Days. Of this this interactive fiction game, uh, just because it is so um, it is so beautiful to experience this this sort of alternate world, which is which is painted by this text, um, and it's beautiful to kind of to live through it and to experience all these different places and to know that like somebody made this thing. It's just kind of beautiful. Um, I also really like. Let me think. I don't know if it inspires me, but I, I really like playing uh, Crusader Kings 2 because it's just a game where you have got this, this quite ruthless kind of conquest army mechanic where you can like send an army and take territory and there isn't really any getting around that. But then on top of that, it has this whole other layer, which is the, the people involved. Um, and I kind of feel like even if i I don't it's not like the ideal version of that game in in my opinion because my my version would have a lot more events and it would be a lot more dynamic, and there will be a lot more kind of stories that came out of it. Um, but I just like the idea that you've got the system and then you could bolt on all of this other stuff because you can have a character who is like lustful and greedy and who could therefore maybe be lured into a particular situation that might then be used to blackmail them later which might mean that you can then prevent them from invading you down the line by threatening to release this information or whatever um so yeah i I think those three are a pretty solid kind of indicator for like the the games that that have sort of inspired me and um got me to where i am like as a designer and also a crusader kings 2 was kind of an inspiration for Spinoutality, all paradox games, because it had that kind of grand strategy management aesthetic. So I was definitely thinking about Crusader Kings uh, while it was making the game.
0: Awesome, Adam.
2: RuneScape. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know if any game inspires me. Um, I I don't know. Uh, it could
0: be a game that just kind of inspires you as a gamer or something like that that kind of really keeps you uh, gaming. Uh too.
2: I don't know, man. Uh I would say um I don't know. I guess one franchise I got super obsessed with because of its um its like social mechanics and strategic planning would be um probably like Persona Three or Four.
1: Cool. That sounds cool. I never got around to playing them unfortunately, but uh
2: um, it it heavily affects the game your social mechanics. If you decide not to be social or who you speak with, uh, it affects the game.
1: That's very nice. I like that a lot. Yeah,
0: yeah. Because the game the game split um, into like your traditional RPG style, and then it has a more social aspect. So it's like night and day, where you can mm-hmm. choose. You have so much time in your day to do things like you know read a book to gain intelligence or meet with your friends. So you kind of have to balance out how you want to spend the time you have in your day
2: go to school, get a part time job. But then if you work that part time job, then you can't go hang out with this person that will improve your qualities and like other areas. Ah,
1: Okay, you you have to choose. I
2: want to to get you know, I need to do my homework or also get diligence. But then if you do, you know, too much, then you're straining yourself.
1: I know I really like that. I like any uh, system where you're like, forced to make interesting choices where you don't just get everything you have to say okay well i value this so i'm going to like drop this other thing Um, yeah it's like and and i think that's like the basis of good choices but it's so much more interesting when it's like when it has a social component because then it's not like do i want do i want to focus on gold or gems it's like do i want to focus on being an extrovert and going to parties or do i want to focus on staying in the studying? Which like Everyone has some kind of connection with. So, oh, I remember one more game that has really inspired me. Uh, it's The Void by um, Ice Creek Lodge, just because it's this really beautiful, kind of eerie world uh, where uh, there's one resource, which is color. And uh, it's drawn in this beautiful kind of grayscale. And as you add more color to the world, it becomes more colorful. Um, And it's really about like hunger and desperation and what you do when you are running low on resources. And I think that that's a metaphor that is so apt for so many different situations because it's so abstract. It could be like, will you behave kindly and patiently when you have not slept enough? Or will you, you know, help? Will you give money to homeless charities even if you can't quite make rent this much this month? That kind of thing. Um, and it's a game that that is really hard and it really hammers home the feeling of not having enough and always being hungry because you never have enough of this resource and you're constantly trying to, to balance it and to manage it. Um, and so you really do feel like hungry and desperate while you're playing. So that's another,
0: um, one of my favorite games of all time.
2: Nice. Dan, so what about you? Uh,
0: I think the one that I think at the very least, it inspires me to keep playing games stuff like that. That's fun to go back to, is uh, Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Uh, I love oh, how much yeah, like, beautiful player there's in that game. You can make that game as easy or as hard as you want with the leveling up system. You can explore the entire castle, both castles, if you want to. Um, it's up to you, really. Um, just like some of the background information that I picked up, like the fact that Koji Igarashi like, made every boss uh, developer like... They had to be able to beat the boss without getting hit for it to make it into the game and stuff like that oh wow, that's amazing yeah I don't know like what levels they were at, but they had to at least be able to yeah. not get hit by it and stuff like that um just kind of like all the information like it's really it doesn't seem like a game that has a lot of player choice but it's just the entire game is pretty much mm-hmm. your choice how you play the game and stuff like that and what you that's really interesting to go after mm-hmm. Because I,
1: I love that game, but uh, I I didn't know how customizable it was, so I might go back and revisit it now.
2: You know, one game that you might like I just kind of like learned mm-hmm. a little bit about is um, Vampire, or I don't know if you say Vampire. Um, I think it's for like the PS4. Um, so that game, you're a vampire, um, and you have to make you befriend. You come back from like the war, and like you're a vampire, so you've got to befriend these people, anybody in the town, um, but the the game forces you to feed, but you can only feed mm-hmm. off of like, so you can feed off vagrants or you can feed off people you've met. But the thing is you develop these relationships with these people. And mm-hmm. so what I've heard is that, you know, people will grow attached, but then they're like, oh, but I need to sacrifice somebody, but I don't want to sacrifice anyone. And then also if you take, if you pick someone off, somebody from the town might notice that like, Hey, where's this person? And then they might be like suspicious of you. So that's another uh, player choice game I just learned about.
0: That
1: sounds absolutely fantastic. Uh, I really, really want to play that because that absolutely sounds like my perfect vampire game, and I really like vampire games. Oh, then yeah, yeah this is like right up your alley, man.
2: Mm-hmm. Like
0: Van- vampire with a Y. Yeah, yeah, nobody knows mm-hmm. yeah. How yeah, to yeah. Pronounce it. I'm, I'm. See, if if you have
1: seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, then you know that it's pronounced vampire, but you have to. <laughs> Like a complete loser as well to pronounce it correctly. So,
2: <laughs> Yeah, I used to watch that movie all the time, man. <laughs> all
1: right, uh, That's all that I've got time for, but I think we're we're wrapping up anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: Up anyway. Why don't you give it one last time, they can pick it up on Steam February 1st, and the price point is...
1: The price point is going to be $9.99. Oh,
0: there you go. It's a steal, people. It's a steal. Talent. Hours yeah. of gameplay. Yeah. Uh, at least at
1: least ten hours because I'm doing a test playthrough and it's ten hours and it's not done yet. So,
0: <laughs> All right, thanks for joining us. Uh, yeah. Real quick, uh, we do a weekly question of the week. Is there a question you would like to ask our audience or us at large for our next podcast?
1: Um, I'd I'd like to ask them uh, what is there like uh, a mechanic or a, or a focus in games that. You'd like to see that doesn't often get representation, like the mechanics of um, being grounded or going to detention, or the mechanics of like having to choose which friend group to join, or the mechanics of like being a, an unemployed person in America in the nineteen nineties or whatever. Like, is is there an area of life that doesn't often get represented that that you think would be kind of interesting? Um, and yeah, I, I just like to remind everyone that you can. You can definitely pick it up on Steam. The, the game is called Spinortality. That's with two N's, S-P-I-N-N-O-R-T-A-L-I-T-Y. And I'm just spelling it out because it is a pain to spell.
0: <laughs> All right, man, thanks for joining us. Uh, how can yeah, people get a hold of you it. if they want more information? Uh, if they want more info? Well,
1: uh, you can find out more information generally at spinortality.com. Uh, and there is a contact, uh, like contact site, uh, contact page on that on their website that you can use to email me directly. Uh, and I'm also on Twitter, and my DMs are open, so that's fine. I'm uh, at James underscore D underscore Pat.
0: Well, hope you guys enjoy that. Uh, make sure to check out the game. Hopefully, uh, when James uh, has time to work on this new game, we'll be able to get him back on for that.
1: Awesome. I would be very happy to. Thanks for having me. All right, James. Thank
2: you, man. Appreciate you coming on.
1: No, thank you.